Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Business of Customer Love podcast, brought to you by Mention Me. I'm your host, Simeon Atkins, and thanks for joining us today. Growing your brand through customer love might seem like an idea that belongs in the company cafe rather than the boardroom. But identifying, growing, and activating a base of loyal fans is serious business, and the results of harnessing customer advocacy can be truly transformational for both your company and your customers. We gather experts from across the space to shine a light on how you can unleash a virtuous cycle of sustainable organic growth where your best customers keep coming back and bringing their friends too. So let's get into today's episode. So I'm excited to be joined today by Lynn Hunsaker, Chief Customer Officer at Clear Action Continuum. Lynn, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to join today. So you're here today to discuss the concept of customer-inspired growth and how businesses can drive exponential growth by leading with this approach. Before we dive in, though, do you want to give a quick introduction to our listeners? Sure. So I'm uh, leading clearaction.com. And our specialty is engaging non-customer-facing groups in driving issue-free customer experience. That seems to be the area where you have the highest growth opportunity. So I got my start in strategic planning, and uh, we're using customer experience insights as our formula there, which I think is pretty rare now, and then uh, went on to drive uh, customer experience issue-free across all of our uh, business units at a semiconductor company called Applied Materials for many years. Fabulous. Look forward to diving into that with you in a little bit more detail shortly. Um, Now, tradition on the show, to get things kicked off, I'd love for you to share a time recently where as a consumer, you experienced customer love firsthand and really what impact that had on you as a consumer. Mm. Yeah, well, I can think of a couple of situations recently where I was uh, shopping for something uh, in a a department store. And, well, I went to one place that had cosmetics and I had a bunch of clothes and other things that I wanted to transact there. And they were very accommodating. They took care of all of my needs uh, and went overboard in giving me uh, advice on some special deals and throwing in a few extras uh, for no charge. So I really felt like I was in good hands and had uh, customer love in that situation. Uh, Just before that, I went to uh, a a place where I was looking for a large purchase. And I told them I wasn't quite ready to make that purchase yet. I just wanted to kind of shop around and find out what my options were for payments. Uh, and uh, well, they really gave me the, a great treatment. I, I felt like I was uh, listened to pretty well and um, given some neat opportunities to try out some things. But when it came to uh, getting what I first came for, which was these quotes, they actually ran my credit on three uh, providers. And so it actually made a, a dip in my credit where I was <laughs> just trying to find out what my options were in preparation for it in the near future. So that was kind of a bummer where it went really well, but they kind of missed uh, listening to me really clearly and to following what I really was trying to aim for. Interesting. Did you feed that back to them afterwards out of, of interest? Um, well, I guess I... I was in a hurry to get to a couple of things. So I will go back to them and discuss it because I yeah, kind of curious why that happened and just wanted to make sure that that doesn't happen in the future, or that I have a little more clarity on it. 
because I guess that would be a nice uh, next step in terms of the customer experience process for you with them. It's how they will respond to your feedback. You know, what what will they do? Will they kind of action it and then close the loop with you? Kind of like mm. all the classic, I suppose, customer experience processes. So um, you'll have to let us know how that gets on. All right. <laughs> Fabulous. Um, so as you alluded to at the top of the show, we're going to be talking about this idea of, of customer-inspired growth. Before we dive into that, though, um, as someone that works with many different businesses and different teams in those businesses, I'd love to get your take on what you think the biggest challenges are facing customer experience teams today. Yeah, so I think that they're following a lot of myths, for one thing, and being misguided also by their senior leadership team. So what I mean by that is that revenue growth is a very hard thing for customer experience teams to drive in and of themselves. In fact, there's already built into the company a lot of places that are driving revenue growth. You have a sales team, for example. You have a product development and you know a whole, whole machine for uh, driving your business that is aimed at revenue growth. So what I think is the, is the missing link here, why you aren't getting quite the revenue growth you want or you're seeing costs that you didn't want to have, is not necessarily putting more people's aim on that. It's a matter of brand integrity and minding that gap. Nobody is minding the gap. Uh, it's affecting employee experience as well as customer experience. So what I mean by that is, uh, when you have a value proposition, you're promising something to customers, they're buying into it, they're pay- putting their money forward, and they're getting it, it all should be fine after that. They shouldn't need to have customer service or other assistance, except in rare cases. So the fact that you do have requests for refunds or returns or escalations or even just inquiries, it usually spe- spells that there was some kind of misstep in development of that product in the first place, um, communication of it, managing expectations, and of course, all of the uh, value delivery that you had. So who's cleaning that up? Who's going to the root cause of it? And who's uh, driving that one-to-one ratio between what customers thought they were getting and what they got? That is really the role of a customer experience team in my book. And if you're uh, influencing the whole organization to understand those caveats of when we do this, it actually costs us a lot in these areas. It costs customers in these areas, and it's uh, you know taking its strain on trust. Um, well, you know people start to realize well those are the performance standards that I should shoot for. So that is really the the thing that we need to be redirecting people's attention to. Um, the way you do it is uh, you tell your executives what is the one of the largest things that uh, customers contact us about and how much is that costing us? How would you like to cut that in half? What if we could possibly cut it by 80%? Then think about freeing up those resources from troubleshooting to value creation. Think about all that budget that is forever dedicated next year, the year after, the year after that, we're dedicating that, that budget to those fixes now. But if we were to prevent that from ever happening again, we could free up that budget to put on so many other things, hiring, expanding uh, capabilities, 
better profit sharing and uh, salary increases and things like that. So when executives are redirected to what I call customer experience annuities, which is um, getting to the root of these gaps and preventing them happening anymore, you're actually generating a lot of cost savings that allow you to have higher growth opportunities because you're expanding your budget to put into higher value opportunities. And you're freeing up customers from all the areas where they've been stymied. I've given a couple of examples already. Um, You know, kind of a trust situation that uh, might make your sales cycle a little longer in the future. Um, You're freeing up customers to do more in their life, more in their business, and more with you. Something I hear a lot on here, actually, this idea that customer service is very reactive and customer experience is all about getting on the front foot and preventing those issues from happening in the first place. And if you're, if you're nailing your customer experience, you're reducing that pressure on your, your customer service teams. I'd like to pick on, on something you said earlier around influence. I wonder, is, is part of the challenge for customer experience teams that they just maybe don't have the influence that they really need in businesses? Mm. So influence is definitely an important thing to be building all the time. Um, If you have taken change management courses, that's a big step in the right direction. If you uh, Mm. take trusted advisor uh, training or read up on that, uh, these things will help you a lot. Uh, Also learning about personality types. I uh, got quite intrigued by Myers-Briggs, for example, and learned about other things Discs, Strengths Finder, and so forth, that really opened my eyes to how I could coordinate and connect and collaborate and maintain enthusiasm with anybody in the company. Uh, basically, you have to stand in their shoes. And the role of a customer experience manager is maybe 50% outward oriented, where you're collecting customer insights, you're being close to the customer, you may be improving touch points. But has to be internal because these you rely on everybody to get it right. And they can only get it right if there's a little little bit of hand-holding in terms of sharing the expectations of customers with every group in the company and showing them where the gaps are so that they can recalibrate. It's not really adding something to their plate. People think that is, and they're afraid of being overbearing or... Uh, unfair because everybody has a lot going on. Everyone feels overworked and <clears throat> um, resource constrained, time constrained. But uh, it's not a matter of that. It's a matter of uh, reframing people's work in terms of uh, their handoffs, how they communicate internally and externally, and how they view uh, their uh, decisions and uh, performance standards. So when you put uh, customer insights into those areas, it's just a matter of tweaking what they're already doing. When you're talking about closing the gap, uh, fixing things at the root cause, it's really just making modifications and how they're making decisions, communicating um, what they're measured on and how they do their handoffs. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um Okay, so this idea of customer-inspired growth, let's just start by um, getting to the root of what that is. Would you mind kind of giving us an overview of of how you would define customer-inspired growth? 
So we have a, most of our growth in companies today or historically has been in a silo. Uh, you set off to create a business model, um, a value proposition, expand into a new market, merge with another company or acquire a company. You um, develop products and new services. And in the course of that, you might have some experience design work going on where you're doing some check-ins with customer in an agile nature. Um, but let's face it, most of the time, even strategic planning is done just because we're smart people. All of this stuff is done just because we're all smart people. And some of it's done based on some kind of study done with customers. But we don't always check in with customers during the course of it. And uh, probably a very small percentage is actually based on some kind of inspiration that we've gotten from customers. Really interesting study by Massachusetts Institute of Technology uh, showed that over about 1,200 different innovations across, I, I think, eight or so industries, there was eight times revenue growth from the in innovations that were inspired by customers compared to innovations that were done in a silo just because we're smart people. So when you say inspired by customers, it doesn't mean that the customer is actually doing it for you or gave you the entire idea, but you're listening to customers talk. You're hearing what they're passionate about, what they're frustrated about. You're uh, in watching customers and observing their body language and their workarounds and so forth. And that's sparking an idea. And then you're checking in with customers to make sure that you're on track on a frequent basis. That's the nature of Agile, not necessarily the minimally viable product that everyone thinks is Agile. Um, Agile is checking in with your customer frequently during the course of developing something. So that is what we mean by customer-inspired growth. And when you have done that, you're more likely to have success in the rollout, more likely to um, hit the ground running and have a lot less burden on customer service and all of those other post-launch uh, headaches that, that tend to happen. There was a point that you mentioned there, which I think is, is really important around closing the loop with customers. So gathering that information, gathering that feedback, using it, but then actually letting them know what changes you're making off the back of that as well. I feel that that's, again, something I hear a lot on here is the, the frustration that customers have when they provide feedback and they don't know what impact that's having on the business. So being able to close that loop, I think, is, is obviously very important as well. Um, and just to kind of take it a step further, so that's a, that's a great definition of what it is. How should companies be then using those insights to guide the growth of their business? Mm. Well, there is a wealth of customer information that is largely ignored. And what it, where it is is usually in the contact center or wherever you're collecting customer service uh, feedback. And we need to be taking advantage of data mining technologies there's text mining, there's video mining, there's voice mining, there's image mining. All of those uh, mining technologies can take this unstructured data and help us see patterns that are insightful for any place in the company. There is no exception. Procurement group, legal group, audit group, uh, safety group, facilities group, every single group can be benefiting from CX Insights for their performance standards and for their innovations, their improvements, 
their growth uh, endeavors of any type. Even their you know, strategic planning, which you might be thinking is kind of uh, rote or not that innovative or growth-oriented, but strategic planning also should be part of that uh, that use of customer experience insights. Um, additionally, we should be mining employee insights and putting these together in one bucket, uh, not necessarily just separating out where employees are talking about customers, but look at the entire employee experience in hand-to-hand with the uh, customer experience insights, and it'd probably be even more innovative in terms of creating uh, processes, models, uh, targets, and um, rollouts that uh, are very efficient and uh, satisfying for the employees and, of course, most importantly, the customers that pay for employees' salaries and budgets. And I guess by bringing the employees in, firstly, they have a wealth of experience, obviously, and and knowledge around what the customers are saying, but then they feel more bought into the whole concept of customer-inspired growth as well. I guess they feel sort of like part of this bigger movement and this growth that's happening within the business as well. And ultimately, they're the ones that are driving the experiences. They need to be on board with everything that's going on. Yeah, there's the notion that we need to keep things manageable, don't uh, put Mm. too many cooks in the kitchen, things like that. But I've seen some examples of it going the other way. For example, there was a telecom in South Africa that came up with 99 issues that customers had. And they just posted that on the intranet site, and they had a place where people could uh, submit their name if they wanted to uh, contribute to a solution for any of those 99 issues. I don't know if they really intended to solve them all in a year, but they put that out there that we'd like to solve them in a year. And so they ended up solving 101 customer issues in that year. And they came to the CXPA conference uh, telling about that story. It was just extremely inspirational. We shouldn't really underestimate the motivation and enthusiasm that employees have for customers. And frankly, the reason why they had the extra two was because of some unique insights from employees who uh, I think uh, they were mostly about um, access uh, access challenges, uh, handicap and that type of thing and they you know just brought up some some aspects of what customers are saying that weren't delineated initially and sure enough they were customer issues just hadn't been articulated uh, as such so that's a huge huge lesson learned in my own experience uh, we had a situation where our biggest customer was very upset wanted to take his business elsewhere Uh, this is a ceo major corporation and a significant percentage of our revenue, also very influential with the rest of the industry. Um, He said we were really arrogant and hard to do business with, and so when I came in as the voice of the customer manager, my role was to go to all of our lines of business, every P&L on the the product side as well as the account side worldwide, and help them see what the customer insights were saying we did a correlation analysis for every single group separately so they knew what their top two key drivers were statistically, scientifically. And then you do a Pareto analysis to, of the customer comments in that to figure out what are your vital few issues, not just the quick wins. 
So, of course, quick wins uh, were embraced, but not at the expense of the vital few. Those were must-haves. That's the 80-20 rule. You've got to address the vital few if you want to see real gains. Real gains that the customers will uh, recognize and reward you for now and forever. So that's what we did. We had two breakout groups in every one of those uh, situations. I went to over 50 places, so we had over 100 action plans created at the root cause level. Why do, Why are we causing this? Why is that happening? Why is that happening? So you, the fifth why is your root cause, and that had to be what the action plan was about. We tracked the progress of every action plan based on what are you mistake-proofing. Let's monitor what you're mistake-proofing in your process we call that a customer critical factor. So we had an internal metric, which was a leading indicator of what customers will soon experience. It was a leading indicator of what customers would soon rate us about. And it was a leading indicator of their financial performance. And sure enough, we did see massive progress because people's bonus was based on what are they doing about it with this customer critical factor, not the survey results, right? So you focus people on what they can control. They're preventing a recurrence of massive pebbles in customers' shoes. And you're engaging the whole company in doing their part. It was really impressive and so uh, energizing to see these general managers trying really hard to go over and above so they could get a, a, a plus factor on their bonus. And um, it filtered down. Those bonuses were only for the like directors and above, but that filtered down to managers and uh, individual contributors to follow suit, right? How do they help make this all a success? So you have this kind of unified momentum and a lot of uh, clarity on what was important to customers. We did this series of workshops just before the strategic planning process. So guess what was on people's minds as they were going through their strategic planning, their efficiency uh, plans, their growth plans. They had customer insights top of mind. So uh, that plus a recognition program that was open to anybody. So there could be, you know, another hundred things that employees wanted to do or were happening to do with their internal customers and with their external customers to prevent issues and to resolve long-standing issues, those were all uh, given a lot of constructive feedback by panels of judges. And if they didn't pass a threshold that quarter, they could resubmit in a future quarter. And the lessons learned were, that was part of it. Are you doing lunch and learns? Are you, you know, who are you sharing your lessons learned with? Because we wanted the whole company to grow from that. So it was kind of an internal feedback loop. The feedback loops uh, need to happen during the development of something as well as after you've developed. Don't just uh, clap your hands and say, well, we're walking away. We have a great uh, IVR or digital chatbot or a self-service thing because you're going to probably turn off quite a lot of uh, otherwise long-term loyal customers who are finding something that's not quite uh, to their expectation. Uh, they don't have a way to communicate it or it's very hard to. And, um, you know, it kind of backfires. Those feedback loops are important all the way through.
internal and external. Excellent. And I'd love to get some some more examples from you of businesses that you've seen that have had this mindset of customer-inspired growth, mm. how they've implemented it and what kind of success they've generated off the back of it. Mm. Well, I can think of a company that's fairly new in Texas called Public. It's a utility and they launched just, I think, the week after there was a major ice storm, one of the worst ones in Texas. But they had mm. luckily started out with a much more customer-in-tune mentality than we usually see in utilities by leaps and bounds. Um, so I was extremely impressed reading their story about how they had uh, been very responsive as well as pretty proactive from the get-go in uh, their their whole organizational setup to be nimble and to uh, be empathetic and to provide uh, a superior value to customers. Um, so I, I think that it's a little, it, it's fairly few and far between uh, who the, these companies are that are using customer insights for growth. Uh, just like I mentioned, we're usually looking at customer insights for how do we improve a, a touch point, not how do we actually grow the business or influence the non-customer facing people until they're, until they have a touch point. So, uh, so, you think who are the other brands, Simeon? <laughs> hmm. Univar. Oh yeah. Okay. So I have another Go story ahead. from Prudential, the insurance company. They set out to do a uh, a totally new approach for uh, retirement planning, and they didn't go by their old playbook for uh, rollouts. They just set up something completely new. They uh, involved customers from the very beginning. They listened to customers very carefully at uh, very frequent intervals about what they were drafting up, the storyboards and so on. And uh, they kind of co-created with customers. And uh, well, as I was reviewing what they had done, I was extremely impressed with the innovative uh, approach they, they ended up with that seemed to kind of break free from the insurance industry norms. And, um, well, they ended up having quite a lot of very high growth. And then you think about these these some of these industries, they're facing a lot of new competition with apps and other startups that are coming from things in a very different mindset than a hundred year old company, especially in a highly regulated industry like utilities or insurance. And so these are two examples that I really loved. Fabulous. Um, Lynn, we've covered some amazing ground today. Just in closing, what advice would you give to CX teams so they can engage senior leadership to really invest the time to focus on customer-inspired growth? Uh, well, I think that uh, you always need to follow the money. So show executives uh, how much money is going out the window from lost opportunities, how much money is going down the drain for uh, missteps. And you don't need to boil the ocean on these calculations. Just show them whatever mm. money you have some access to, some visibility into, and label it. And tell them, I know this is only the tip of the iceberg, but did you know that this is costing 
X in this area. Did you know that uh, these customers who want this or don't want this represent such and such X uh, money from last week or last year projected for the next year or whatever you have any kind of visibility into just label it as such and let them know this will usually generate the reaction of wow that can't stand how can i get involved how can we do something differently and that is really the reaction you want to be generating with almost every cx insight that you're sharing (laughs) Because uh, if you can generate people doing something about it, then you know that you're creating CXROI. You know that you have indisputable value. You know that your group is indispensable. And when you can translate that into uh, the opportunities that people are pursuing for growing the company, reducing costs, that is gold because it will pay off over and over again. And it's way more valuable than the traditional way that we're using CX insights. So Follow the money um, and be prepared to be a real ambassador of how you collect insights, how you clarify the insights, such as uh, just finding patterns that stimulate this type of reaction, how you communicate them to everyone in a timely way, ways that resonate with them using their jargon, and how you champion those insights. Let's collect Clarify, communicate, and champion are the real ticket to customer experience maturity, much higher ROI through so many growth opportunities. Excellent. Lynn, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Likewise. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. You've been listening to the Business of Customer Love podcast hosted by Mention Me. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to join us next time where we'll be speaking to some more amazing guests about how you can harness the power of customer love. See you again soon.